And as you're saying hi to somebody, um, before you grab your seat, if you are hot and you're sitting in the middle section, this is the time for you to move. We have the Arctic and the Antarctica on the left and the right of us. So we are doing church in a gymnasium, and they're designed for people to get sweaty and stinky in, and so at the height of the summer, we have this difficulty. So don't, in the middle of it, you start getting a little sweaty, a little, you know, starting to get a little faint. Just move over to the side. There's a lot of chill going on. I mean, look at this couple over here. Uh, that, uh, Stokes and Leslie? Yes, look how chill they are. I mean, they are, how long have you guys been married? Wow, they've been married a really long time. You gotta be chill to be married that long. So they want you to sit next to them. Um, so please, if, if you do get a little hot, uh, or if I move down there to preach, that's, that's what's going on. So we have uh, been looking at a couple people from the Chosen series. And why are we doing this? We, are we like undermining the scriptures or anything? Let me just tell you, I examined every one of these and to see if there's a hint of something. And you'll probably notice I edit some of them as well. So I pull out things that's not really in the Bible or it's not really, couldn't be an amalgamation of an idea. Um, but the reason why we're using them is that we're such a visual culture. And I don't know if you're like me, I am wicked ADD. And I, have you ever lost the ability to read a book? I mean, I'm an audible guy. So I'll say, yeah, I read that book. But really what it means is I listen to that book. But it's just something about our brains. We're looking at Instagram and Snapchat and all the other stuff that's on there, and you just kind of lose it. And so I think God has actually given us a gift of allowing us to see a visualization. So we've looked at a lot of people, and most of the people, I was beginning to think, are newcomers to Jesus. Other than his immediate family like Mary and probably his gym coach from Nazareth, most of the people in the, that we see in the Bible are three years or less. And there's people that, you know, when you're three years or less and you discover the Son of God, that's, that's exciting, that's energizing, that's transformative, and as it should be. And, and so we run into people who are all of a sudden really in a bad place, and then all of a sudden God appears upon them and, and their lives are transformed. But the next story we're going to look at is really hopeful to me, because this person has known Jesus for more than 30 years, okay? This person um, has known the ins and outs of Jesus, and, it, and this is a story that shows the ups and the downs of experiences that we have. It's a story about heart-bursting devotion, um, but it's also about unbearable doubt, just doubt that just is overwhelming, and we're going to find that in our lives, we tend to have these moments, these experiences. So John the Baptist, and that's what we're going to call him, that's what the Bible calls him. Uh, John the Baptist is different than John the disciple who writes the Gospel of John. John the Baptist um, is called the Baptist because of his ministry. He was born before Jesus, and even though he, didn't, he wasn't born of a, a birth like the virgin birth, like Jesus, you know, he had that miraculous birthing experience. John also has a miracle surrounding his birth. His mother and father were beyond age-bearing, uh, children-bearing years, 
and had no children. And an angel is sent to his father, Zechariah, and told that you're going to have the son, and, and everybody's amazed by it. And then we're told in that moment, before he's born, that John the Baptist is going to have a very specific role in the kingdom of God and in the story of God, that he would prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah. I mean, that's really specific. I mean, I, it, I don't think most of us got that kind of specific pre-information, vision-casting information to our birth. That, oh yeah, your son, your daughter is going to grow up and they're going to be specifically this. John was so in the story that he knew what he was going to be uh, even before he was born. So, add to that is that we've got John is the cousin of Jesus. So, when you add all that together, we've got somebody who is very much a part of what's going on with Jesus. It was John that announced to the world, it's kind of a classic statement that we, we are familiar with, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is that John, okay? I mean, this is, he's baptizing Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. He, he says to everybody that's there, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's big. I mean, that's strong. That's, nobody's saying stuff like this, but John, you know, he's right there tracking along with Jesus' mission. He also said a statement like this, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Wow. Talk about confidence. It was John who saw while Jesus was being baptized, like in the song that we were singing, that the dove or the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus in the form of a dove and testified to that. It was John who was given, um, allegorically, the spirit of the greatest prophets to be able to proclaim and to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus. This guy's in it. I mean, this is like a guy who has his favorite quarterback jersey, goes to see spring training, um, does fantasy football, is in three different leagues, and he's constantly picking his homer pick for fantasy football. So John is really in it. So even though this conversation that we're about to see is not in Scripture, it's not too much of a stretch to believe that it could have happened. Um, it may not have all happened in one particular moment. It may have been a, a group of conversations that were had. But I, we are not outside of the um, implied relationship that John and Jesus had, that this conversation, it is very possible that this conversation took place between the two of them. But let's watch together. It's becoming real, isn't it? Everything we've prepared for. It is. I mean, it's always been real, but it's one thing to preach about it. To hear my Abba's prophecy growing up and your Ima's song. Hmm. But it's heavy when it becomes real. No? Do you feel ready? 
I'm always ready to do my father's will. But that doesn't make it easy. Listen, I was rude to you before, but it's only because we go back so far and I can tease a bit. But you know that my heart is yours. My life is yours. The sole reason why I was miraculously conceived by two old people was to pave the way for you. I'm just impatient for you to get to work. I understand. And I'm grateful for your part. You have done God's work. Albeit in a unique way. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. It's perhaps a poor choice of words. Perhaps. I love what he says there. That it gets real. You know? And, and I find that about life. That... You know, you're going through life, and all of a sudden, it gets real on you. And it challenges whether or not faith is real in you. For a lot of us, we go along theoretically, and we, we hold ideas in a belief. It's more nebulous than anything really concrete because we don't really need it yet. But then all of a sudden, when the doctor tells you you have this, or your marriage is beginning to go like that, or your child is is losing sense of direction in their life. Or maybe a job doesn't happen. All of a sudden, it gets real. And when it gets real, it gets heavy. I mean, it's, it, it, it gets heavy. Even for those who have walked with Jesus a lot. Even in the presence of the strongest devotion, the heaviest of life can squash hope and a vision, and a sense of value. And I think it happens to all of us. You know, we get into a place where, you know, you're just too long and you're paying bills and you're whatever, and, and all of a sudden, life gets real. You're in the middle of your career, and all of a sudden, it gets real. It gets heavy, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're in that place. Even with somebody that was with Jesus from the beginning, even with somebody that could call Jesus family. Um, John finds himself in a dark space. Things get real. They get real heavy for John. John finds himself in a place he might not have expected. King Herod has him arrested. John appears to have been doing the right thing. He may have shot off his mouth a little bit, but he, he yelled out something about... You know, King Herod was living with his brother's wife, and, you know, it got all messy. And so John just spoke the truth. And, you know, when you're speaking the truth, everything should work out, right? I mean, I mean, if you're doing God's will, it should just all work out. And all of a sudden, he finds himself arrested and put into prison. He goes from traveling the wilderness, preaching, having crowds of people come out, baptizing the Messiah, 
seeing the Spirit of God fall upon Jesus to being imprisoned for something true that he said. But don't worry, John's a superhero. He's a superhero. See, he's moving in the spirit of Elijah, okay? So if you get, it's, it's kind of like uh, uh, the spirit of Tony Stark or uh, Thor, or, you know, if, if you want to put it in the Marvel Universe, or uh, the spirit of uh, Luke Skywalker. I mean, so when you're told you got the spirit of, of Elijah, and it doesn't mean the actual spirit of Elijah, a dead guy, but meaning that you'll be moving with that kind of anointing and power and authority. Elijah was like the coup de gras guy. I mean, he was like superhero stuff, really weird stuff that he was able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this guy, we're told that he will move in the spirit of Elijah. He's got this. He's got this. This ain't no chump. This isn't DC. This is Marvel, okay? This isn't Batman with a better suit, you know? No, this is, a real, this is Thor level stuff. He was a miracle baby. He grew up with a vision statement already written by the time he came out. He played with Jesus in the sandbox. I mean, they were family together. Oh, okay. John's in there. He will not waver. He will not doubt. He will not question because he's a superhero. He will not become anxious. He will not battle depression because real Christians never waver when life gets real. And there is not a bigger lie you could be told than that. We think we have to be superheroes. John has it all. The investment, I mean, other than Jesus' mother, there's nobody who's got DNA in the game, who's got grow up in the game, who's got vision in the game, who's got purpose written in scripture in the game more than John. So you would think that John is impervious to a dark moment. So John sends his followers while he's in prison to ask Jesus a question. Because that's what hardships do, right? Hardships don't just cost us money or cause us a headache or cause, you know, one foot to shake a little too much. Uh, hardships spawn questions. And that may even be more threatening than the shaking of a foot or the, the looking for a job. It begins to spawn questions in your soul. And that happens to every one of us. Well, it happens to John. And I want you to hear the question that he asks when he sends his disciples to Jesus while he's in prison. Let's watch. I know. I know. Nathaniel, let me see your life. Said anything with my own words. 
Where would you like to start? <laughs> Blessed are you, Lord our God. <laughs> Master. Ah, yes. What do we have here? These are two of your cousin's disciples, Avner and Nadal. The baptizer has an urgent question for you. I recognize you from the day John introduced me to Andrew. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Yes. Good memory. <laughs> My cousin can get excited. Who here has experienced John the baptizer in some way? I know some of you rejected John, but some of you believed his message. He has had a profound impact on so many in this region. And these are two of his disciples, so let's welcome them. Hmm? Some of you may also know that John is currently imprisoned by Herod in Machairus. I think it would be instructive for us to hear what's on his mind in the midst of such challenge. It's a difficult question. It might be better privately. It's fine. This is healthy. <clears throat> he sent us to ask you if you are really the one who is to come. Or should we look for someone else? Say that last part again. Should we look for someone else? For those of you who could not hear, John the Baptizer, my cousin, who has prepared the way for me, is now questioning if I'm the Messiah or if maybe we should keep waiting. He has been in prison a long time. Word reached our ears about what happened in Nazareth. That you said the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to proclaim liberty to the captives. If you say you are here to free prisoners, then why does he remain? He rightfully wonders why you would allow his entire ministry to be halted by an impostered king. Proclaiming liberty to the captives can mean more than just freeing inmates. There are many kinds of captivity that keep people. Is that what we're supposed to tell him? No, that's just for you. What are we supposed to report back? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The mute speak. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Go, relate to my cousin what you have seen and heard here today. And add to that the dead are raised as well. And tell John I love him. Many of you were baptized by John. I myself was baptized by him. You heard how strong he was, how passionately he believed. And yet now, even he has questions. When you went to the wilderness to see him, did you expect to see a reed 
shaken by the wind? Someone in fine clothing, like those in king's courts? Or did you go to see a prophet? Prophet! A prophet, yes. And I tell you, John is who Isaiah and Malachi spoke of. What did they say, Big James? Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare the way before you. Yes, and this should tell you something. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. And even he has questions. And here's what's so wonderful, though. None are greater than John here on earth. In the kingdom of God, the one who is the least is even greater than he. And John himself would say the same. So please, listen carefully. Do not waste the time right now to hear the truth that I have for you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think we've all been in situations that would give birth to questions. And there are so many questions we would ask when things get heavy, when things get hard, when things get real. Like, why is this happening? When is something else going to happen? How is this going to get fixed? And even with all that rapport that Jesus had with John and John had with Jesus and the plan of God and all that, John has questions. So I think the one thing that God wants you to know initially today is a lot of us are made to feel bad because we have doubts. Or that if you're a real Christian, you shouldn't, you know, when you get punched, it shouldn't hurt. When you get denied, you should just be able to not feel it. That you should never doubt. Your faith should be just rock solid. If not, there's something wrong with you. Well, I'm here to tell you, there's something wrong with all of us. And we, we don't have to hide. John the Baptist, I mean, he, he sends his disciples to go talk to Jesus. The humility of a man who knows everything about Jesus, who's a part of the plan of Jesus, who loves Jesus, who's given his life to Jesus, to be able to share, I'm in a bad place. Are you the one? And it happens to every one of us. You know, we get it in a place like that. And after telling John's followers about the fulfillment of the kingdom, Jesus makes a simple but powerful statement. And this is what God wants to maybe ask you about in your life. He says in Luke 7, 23, he said, And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, this could be speaking to the Pharisees or the Sadducees about their bias against him being the Messiah. But I think it's a bigger statement than that. And I think it's more of a statement to his followers, when things are not working out the way that you think they should work out. That's the theme of the conversation. You know, John has had things happen to him that he didn't think were going to happen. This isn't playing out the way that I thought it was going to play out. You know, John was in prison and, and others got freed. I mean, John read, oh, the spirit of the Lord is upon Daniel. The lions don't eat him. He gets out of prison. Oh, the spirit of the Lord is on Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they're thrown into a furnace. They get pulled out, and the fire hasn't touched them at all. And then all of a sudden, John's in a prison, and it's not looking good for John. 
And so John's in this place of, of, of asking the question, you know, are, are you the one? And Jesus uses a word here that I think is a beautiful word. I wish we used it in the English version. But he uses a word in Greek, scandalizo. Scandalizo. It's the word that we get scandalized from. Um, scandalize is, is a little bit different than just things being bad. Scandalize is when you have an idea or a plan that you think is in place, and then all of a sudden it gets tripped up. It gets undermined. It doesn't work out the way that it happens. It's when you have a perfect idea, and then some other negative idea is interjected into it, you know? Um, and it's, it's kind of like a husband comes home from work, and his wife greets him at the door, but she smells a perfume on him that's not her perfume. And the aroma of that perfume, for a moment or for a second, scandalizes the idea of her husband's intimacy. See, Jesus is talking to the crowd, he's talking to us about when we get tripped up. When we hear verses about pray for healing, asking in the Father's name, you will have that which you ask for, and then it doesn't happen. You know, then not everybody gets healed. We pray, we pray believing that they get healed with as much devotion as we can, but then when we don't get the job, somebody else gets that job. When our marriage is difficult, but their marriage seems so wonderful, the bank account is from day to day, and they seem to be, you know, they've got a house here, they've got a house in the mountains, and they've got a house in, in, in Colorado someplace, you know? And when we experience these hardships, whether it's at the workplace or at home, it has the power of scandal to us. It's like, you know, come on, Jesus. You know, I'm your cousin, for crying out loud. I got the spirit of Elijah. I, I mean, I'm in the Bible too. I served you with all my life, and I'm in prison. That has the power of scandal. I experienced it uh, with the floods. You know, first flood happened, I was so angry with God. If you're not familiar, our building flooded in a hurricane. Uh, that's why there's no drywall below, um, is that we just don't put it back anymore. And so the, we got flood, I'm like, you know, God, why me? I've been faithful. I mean, I've been, I, I really have been faithful doing my job. I, I'm, I'm one of the good guys. I mean, seriously, I got to admit to you, I've been doing my job. Um, I'm not the best manager, but I have been faithful. And when we flooded the first time, I'm like, oh, this is the way, this is the way we're going to do it. <laughs> and so God said, yeah, this is the way we're going to do it. That's why we flooded a year later. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, you know, you're punking me now. And then that's why we flooded the year after that. And I'll tell you what, every hit, scandal, scandal, scandal. It's like, you know, made me jealous of other pastors. It made me think there was something wrong with me, that there was some sort of sin in my life, and God's trying to expose it. And it's like, why can't we get this thing fixed? You know, I think all of us end up in a dark place that has the power of scandal for us. It could be in a marriage, when all of a sudden your marriage gets scandalized. It could be with your children. It could be your addiction. It could be a failure. It can be, a lot of times, failed expectations. We have this idea about what God should do with us, 
or if God loves us. I mean, the, the Jews had this problem. They thought the Messiah was going to deliver them from Rome. I mean, really, they, they pretty much all thought the Messiah is going to come, he's going to wipe out Caesar, and then that Israel is going to rule the world. It didn't play out that way. And their expectations were not met. But our faith is open to be scandalized when we fall into different times. And I think everyone who lives in faith will have moments when it can be scandalized. I have personally had moments when it can be scandalized. You know, when difficulties happen in your life. There are real moments, heavy moments, that dredge out what do we really believe? What are we really hoping in? What did we think was really going to take place? And you may be here today, and I think God wants you to know that just because you have doubts, don't think you're some sort of second-class Christian here. Don't think that you're like worse than everybody else. There are two things I do consistently as a follower of Jesus. Believe in Jesus and doubt God. I do it regularly. I mean, it's kind of like breakfast and supper. You know, I'll have these moments where I'll be running after God and I'll be trusting God, believing in God, preaching God. And then life gets real. And it gets heavy. And I'm like, what the heck? What's the advantage of believing in you? If we get cancer too, if we die young too, if we're, we don't get jobs too, or if we've been abused too, or if we get divorced too, and every one of us will find ourselves in a place like we've been forgotten. Remember John's question? I think, it's, I think we can learn from the question. Um, and please excuse me, uh, I'm from a different land in a different time. But <laughs> everybody's like, oh crap, he's really gonna go sideways now, those Bostonians. But I, can I say, I think John's question should have been, when are you gonna get me the hell out of here? Admit it, that's what you say inside your head. We may not say it from the pulpit, I do, but that's, I think that's what John really, you know, I would have thought that would have been the question to ask. It wasn't a question like I would ask, when are you going to fix this? Um, it wasn't, why is this happening to me and not them? What about me? Or why is there evil in the world? Why is there so much suffering? You know, it's kind of a question that, uh, you know, what's going on, God? The question that John asked is the most important question that all the other questions are answered by. Are you the one we can trust? I mean, instead of the situational questions, are you the one that we can trust? I, I, I've had a couple different surgeries. I remember one particular surgery I was about to have, and this really good uh, surgeon, uh, David Lucas, was doing this surgery on me. Um, and I remember just, he came to my bedside just before they did the surgery, and they were just about to put the f in, you know, so you go out. And um, just before he did, I reached over and grabbed his wrist, and I'm like, you got this, right? I mean, you know how to do this. 
And he smiled at me. He said, yes, I know how to do this. But I'll tell you what, when things are about to get heavy, you want to make sure some, the person that you're trusting has got this. And so John's like, listen, I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm not, I'm not asking you why it's happening to me. I'm just going to go to the question that really needs to be answered. Are you trustworthy? See, John knew that he could endure anything as long as he had the Christ in his life. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't tell you that the Bible promises that God's going to fix everything in your life. I have seen people healed, and I have seen people die. I have seen people get the job of their dreams. I've seen people have to move because they lost it all. I've seen happy marriages. I've seen sad marriages. Well, you say, well, Paul, if you could do an audit trail of what's going on, there must have been sin over here. It's like, really? What's, let's sit and spend the rest of this moment together trying to figure out what John's sin was. I mean, he, Jesus said, of men and of women, there is no greater man born than John the Baptist. All right? So there we go. If anybody's pulled this Jesus thing off good, John has done it. And here's John in this moment asking this question. God promises he will be with you. God promises he will fulfill you in his time. And God promises you that he began a good work in you and he will be faithful to complete that work. Okay, that's, he says to you, I can be trusted. It's the stuff in between. You know, it's kind of like where continents meet, where glaciers meet, where water ends and land begins. It's, it's that rub place. It's the, the ebb and flow of the tide that we experience in life that it gets difficult for us. But Jesus tells him, you can trust me. We're told in the story, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to the disciples of John, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Yep, John. I'm the one that you're hoping for. I'm the one you can trust. That's because God knows if we get that part right, if we can hold on to that part, a lot of stuff can happen in between in the flow of the tide, and we can be okay, even though we're in a dark place where we don't want to be. God knows the confined space that you're living in right now. He knows who you're working for. He knows who you're married to. He knows what your doctor just said. He knows the things that you're facing. You know, I, I mean, as you get older, this happens. But, you know, I went to the doctors the other day. And it's like, okay, you got this kind of wrong with you. We're going to have to send you out to a specialist. And I'm walking out to my car. What the hell? I mean, I'm just telling you, it's like, you're kidding me. It's not even in the other, it's not my back and it's not my colon and it's not my stomach. It's a whole different area. I'm like, God, you got to be kidding me on this. You guys hear that fan? Yeah. Yeah. 
if you want to move at this time, I understand. <laughs> or, tr trust me. <laughs> Watch everybody move like crazy. Uh, we can work through it all. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. Man, that's so good. Man. So there's a fight going on inside of every one of us. It's this idea of scandal. And the book of Hebrews says this, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You may be in a place right now where it's just breaking loose on you. It's just not going right. You're losing your mind. Now, your first thought is probably, this shouldn't be happening to me because I'm faithful. I tithe. I work in the nursery. I'm, you know, I'm a good person. I don't hurt anybody. You might have gotten through that. You know, said stuff like that. But maybe you've now gotten to the point where it's just like, what the heck's going on? And God is saying to you today, do not throw away your confidence. What, that he's going to fix it all? No. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. Does that mean you're telling me I'm going to get the job? It's like, you know what? You ought to go to another church to get a preacher to say that to you. I cannot promise you what God is not promising you. I promise you this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That he loves you. That you are seated with him in the heavenlies and you will live with him eternally. And that you can be transformed in your life right now while we're on planet earth. You can experience his love and his power in your life. Wow, good. Does that mean my car's fixed now? No. You're, you're going to have to take that to the shop. What should you do if you're in a place like this? And I know some of you are. I know a friend of mine this week who got told that it uh, looks like he has cancer. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, I just went to the doctor, got a doctor visit. Report came back, yeah, it looks like you got cancer. And uh, it's like, wait a minute, I, I'm pretty healthy. I never smoked, didn't drink too much and all that, and I got cancer. I mean, we all have moments like that. What do you do in a place when... When what you thought God was going to do with you, like, guys, I was supposed to be famous. I was supposed to be a rock star. I was supposed to be, like, the preacher of preachers. I was going to be, like, amazing. And I'm the pastor of the church that floods. You know? It's like, you got to learn, what do I have to have? You got to have confidence that God loves you and that he's trustworthy. That he who began a good work is faithful to complete that work. So what do you need to be willing to do? You need to be willing to admit your doubts and fears. Let's just stop this game of, we do it on Sunday morning. I know we, you don't want somebody vomiting all their troubles on you on Sunday morning. I mean, God forbid that on Sunday morning we would actually share what's wrong with us. I mean, well, what kind of people are these anyway, you know? But we're too afraid to share that we're having a hard time. We'll suit up. We'll dress up, we'll drive to work, we'll do our job as if we're, I got this. I got it. I can handle this. It's like, no, you can't. And so we're too afraid to admit that we have doubts and that we have fears because that would make us, you know, I'm that way. I mean, Ben Acri is like, like the coup de grace of, of uh, one of our pastors, one of the coup de grace of faith, you know? 
I mean, he's like, oh, you hear a report medically? He's like, well, don't claim that and name that and shabam that. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't even do what he does. I hear the report, the same report, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a dead man. And I've always thought, oh, there's something wrong with me. Um, it's like, no, no. We all handle fears and doubts. You know, we all have them. There's nobody, there's no superheroes here. I don't care if you're Jesus' brother, his cousin. I don't care if you're in the spirit of Jeremiah. I don't care how much of the Holy Ghost you have on you. I don't care, I, I don't care what your lineage is. We all have doubts and fears and failures. And we need to admit that to God and also to one another. Here's another thing that I learned from John. Surround yourself with people you can tell your doubts to. Some of us are too scared to call up somebody. So listen, we got to get coffee. What? I'm really just losing my mind. I just, I, you know, we want to put out. But John had friends that could bring his weaknesses to Jesus. What an incredible thing. Have friends that can bring your weaknesses to Jesus. Do you have friends like that? Not that they'll bring it to the, to the office and tell everybody. Not that they'll bring it to, you know, three other people and tell everybody. But rather, do you have a friend that you could tell your dark, deep secret to and know that they will take that to Jesus? I mean, that's powerful when you know that you have friends. When you're in a blackout faith-wise, when you're in a blackout and you can't hear anything, you're wondering where God is, and life just doesn't seem to work out, that you know you got somebody who's going to Jesus for you. Do you have friends like that? How about this? Do you have friends who remind you what God is doing? You know, that's one of the best things that I have. I have friends that remind me that what Jesus is doing in my life. They always remind me. They're like, hey, Paul, God's doing something in your life. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not true. It's like, no, 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 he's doing something in your life. And they will remind me what God is doing in my life. But in order to have those kinds of friends, you have got to be willing to admit that you're hurting to somebody. Some of us are so prideful, we'll just sit in it. I got this. And everybody outside the prison's like, oh, no, you don't. We can tell you don't got this. You're just faking it. Do you have, you got to be willing to share. Share with God. You know, David said, search my heart of God and see if there's any anxious way in it. Scandalous way before you. Renew a right spirit. That would be the next thing. Pursue a fresh view of Jesus in your life. You know, when I... When I uh, experienced hardship in my life a couple years ago, and, and even to this day, you know, I was at the point when I was resting on old revelation from Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like I got saved in 1981, you know, got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and had the gift of prophecy and, and studied the Word of God. And, and then years started to go by, and it's like then the hurt happens. And God's like, hey, you need to freshen up your vision. Like, when was the last time you spent time with me? When was the last time you welcomed my spirit into your life? When was the last time you cracked open the Bible to get a fresh vision of Jesus in your life? Let me encourage you to get a fresh view of Christ in your life. 
And then remember this, that the plan of God, which includes you, will not fail. It will be fulfilled. You know, I, the, another part of the story that I think is really interesting is that John doesn't see any of the miracles. You know, because we would think all you need to do is see the miracles and you'd believe, right? John doesn't get that. John just gets some reliable sources that have seen it, deliver it to him and say, hey, we saw the miracles and he said he is the Messiah. He is the one trusting him. See, we're kind of like John. We're in a generation where maybe we haven't seen a lot of miracles. We haven't seen a lot of astounding signs and wonders. Though they are real, we may not have seen them personally. But we need to trust the testimony of our friends, the ones who have talked to Jesus, that walked with Jesus, in the Word of God. See, John being asked to do what you and I are being asked to do. And Jesus said, blessed is he who is not scandalized. There is a blessing for those, for us, for our generation that don't see the, the nail holes like Thomas saw, that didn't see the side that was pierced like the disciples, that didn't eat with Jesus after his resurrection, but they believed the testimony of those who had walked with Jesus. John said, you know what? That's good enough. I believe. I trust him. So are you in the place of scandal today? David said this, talking to his own soul. Maybe this is a conversation you need to have with God. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. He says, hope in God. Doesn't say hope to God, he'll fix it. He says, no, hope in God. But we all have this place. And David was in a place where, why so downcast, oh my soul? It was just heavy. It's like, trust in God. It's like, so Pastor Paul, you're, you're telling me John got out of prison, didn't he? Because God let Peter out of prison and, and John the disciple. So John must have gotten out. He's waiting on his miracle. And he got his miracle. Yeah. Yeah, some crazy party happened. Some 16-year-old danced in front of a, uh, the king. The king got really kind of, I mean, I, and I'm telling you this because it's so freaky stupid because I want you to know how freaky stupid life can get. This girl dances, 16-year-old having a party, dances. King Herod likes the way she dances, so therefore promises her half his kingdom. The mama hears it and says, come on over here. And then it says, hey, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king's like, all right, let's do that. They send them right away, and John the Baptist's body does not leave that prison with its head on. You're like, crap. See, if we're going to look at just the events, this is a crazy story. And the problem is, is when we look at just the events, you know, Jesus lets his cousin die. I got some ideas why. 
you know, but, but if we look at the events of our lives, we will scandal, get scandalized. You know, all of a sudden an 85-year-old gets cancer. We're like, well, you know, he's lived a good life. An eight-year-old gets cancer, we're scandalized. You know, so, I, so what I'm offering you is the only thing that can be offered. Jesus Christ is our hope of glory. And you may be in a place of scandal right now where you're just losing. God is telling you he's begun a good work in you and he is faithful to complete it. Put your hope in God. Don't give up. He's not going to tell you how he's going to work it out. He's not promising that, but he is promising that he's doing a good thing in you and he's faithful to complete it. So maybe you're here and you've given up on God. And the Lord knows I have given up on God a bunch of times. You know, like I said, it's like breakfast and supper. I am all Jesus in the morning, but what the heck just happened in the evening? And I love it because Jesus doesn't scold John. You get back there and tell my cousin to, to man up. Man up. John, really? You? I could expect it out of Thomas. But you, John, you know me. It's like, no. Let me do a couple of miracles for John. I mean, just kind of like, he's got the guy standing there, and he's like, okay, hold on a second. Ka-bang, 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 bang, bang. You know? And then he's like, hey, go back and tell him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't mock him. He didn't put him down for being a human being. So if you're in a place of shame because you've doubted, God's not here to make you feel shameful. He's here to offer you hope. He is the one that your soul has expected. Put your hope in God. Father God, as we come in this moment to you, we thank you for your love. Because we're all experiencing a different life than we thought we were going to have. Lord God, there's really one question that needs to be answered in our soul. Are you trustworthy? Are you the one? And in order to demonstrate that you were the one, you allowed yourself to be impaled upon the cross. You descended into the prisons of prisons in Hades and you led captives free. You faced our prison. You faced our sicknesses. You faced our failures and took them upon you. Through your resurrection, you demonstrated to every one of us, I got this. I can be trusted with your life. There's no one else. I can be trusted. So, fathers, we take the bread and the cup. We push away the scandal of our hearts. And we reaffirm that you are our hope and our salvation.